Thanks for tuning in to the Brentwood Academy podcast. Brentwood Academy is dedicated to nurturing and challenging each whole person, body, mind, and spirit to the glory of God. Through this podcast, it's our hope to provide an enjoyable experience, to hear interesting stories, listen to chapel talks, and discover profiles on members of the BA community. To learn more about Brentwood Academy, visit us online at brentwoodacademy.com. Enjoy today's episode. Listen, there are biblical principles and promises that are happening in every song you listen to, every Netflix show you watch, no matter what that show is. There are biblical principles and promises that are either being reinforced or being taken away from. I didn't used to see that. I I didn't see God at work in so many different areas. And it it was finally, I kind of had a light bulb moment when I really understood who the Holy Spirit was and what he was doing. I began to see him in places I had never seen him before. He's at work in your classes. He's at work in your, uh, your social life, your recreation life, your hobbies. He is. So don't just compartmentalize him for... And so this past week, we uh, had a pretty cool play, and it was Frankenstein 1930. And uh, it, there, are some, there are some principles that... Uh, actually, I'm going to... I showed you guys these last week, but we've asked a couple of our faculty members, Doc Rock and uh, Mrs. Vasquez and Mr. Groves, um, and who was the other one? Coach Brown, I'm just kidding, is, is uh, they're going to they're gonna take and they're going to talk for maybe two or three minutes about how the play brought those things out, um, um, just some of the questions that, that brought out. One of the ones I loved, and, and it was actually on the back of the playbill, it's not even one of the ones we talked about, on the back of the playbill, one of the questions was, why did Dr. Frankenstein keep his experiment a secret? thought that was pretty good. From his friends, from his family, he kept it a secret. thought that was really interesting. And even when Gorgo asked him, shall we pray about this? He's like, no, we're not going to pray about this. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit convicts us, man, when I'm doing things that I'm not walking where I should be, a lot of times I don't really want anyone really to know, right? Or I don't want to have those relationships. I, that was a question that we didn't, we're not even going to address those today, but that was on the back of the play below I thought was really interesting. Some of you did not get a chance to see the show. And so I have asked the director, Mrs. Carmona. Great job, Mrs. Carmona. Let's give it up for Mrs. Carmona. Great job this past weekend. I have asked Mrs. Carmona to give us a two-minute synopsis. In case you did not see the show, she's going to kind of uh, wrap it up for you, kind of just review it for you. And then we'll turn it over. If, let's do this. We haven't practiced, have we? Of course, we have not. No rehearsal. If you would just go in order and just pass the mic to the people in order, okay? Thank you, guys. So real quickly... Dr. Victor Frankenstein had the idea to create life in college. He started putting together parts of bodies to make a new creation. He kept his work secret from all he loved because what he knew he was doing was wrong. But he hoped his work would one day make him famous. On the night of a great electrical storm, Dr. Frankenstein brought life to the creature surrounded by his close friends and family that forced their way into his secret laboratory. Immediately, those around Victor started to question if the creature was human, if this creature knew right from wrong, if it had a soul, and even if the brain was good because it was taken from a criminal. Victor was hopeful that the creature could be trained, but quickly realized that the creature was more harmful than good when Victor's assistant and professor were killed by the creature. Victor asked God for forgiveness for what he had done, 
but also for what he knew he must do. As Aunt Frederica, Victor's loving aunt and maternal figure said, good and evil, what a struggle they had up there, referring to the laboratory. Victor had to destroy his own creation, but essentially his creation destroyed him, both both emotionally and physically. First question, who is responsible for what happened? Uh, I think Victor Frankenstein is responsible. First, because he rejects authority. He does not uh, respond to what his professors said as a boundary line, and he ends up getting kicked out of college, and he continues his experiment on his own. Secondly, because he isolates himself from his friends and family. Uh, He does this in secret. He rejects community as as he does this. Um, He next creates the creature and then isolates the creature. He does not provide uh, education for him or moral guidelines. He lets the creature be on his own. Uh, The creature cannot communicate, and initially uh, the creature unintentionally commits violence. And then although he repents, it is without redemption. As he uh, does end up trying to kill the monster, but when or the creature, but when he does that, it is only out of self-preservation. When his own life um, really is threatened by the end, and it's him or the creature, um, but he ultimately fails even at that. Are we responding to that one? Okay. Um, yeah, I I agreed with Mrs. Vasquez on that. That Victor is the one who's who's responsible. Uh, there was some other responsibility there I think is really important because we have a tr- we have trouble with our uh, with taking personal responsibility like the consequences of our actions that's kind of a issue for us in our culture uh, all the people who died I don't know if you noticed all the people who died in the play it was kind of their fault too right <laughs> Gorgo kind of you know antagonized the monster right you know shake the lantern at the mo- uh, you know that's going to get you killed um, Dr. Hellstrom my goodness right giant monster i'm going to get up in your face expect my eyes not to get torn out i don't know how you expect that and poor maria poor little naive maria right never take never take the little ball from the monster right so she had some uh she had some responsibility there and i i thought that was it was kind of a an interesting theme that yeah your actions can come back to bite you uh, or or tear your eyes out um do i answer my question now okay cool does Victor accept forgiveness? It's interesting that uh, accepting forgiveness is not really a, a Bible thing. Um, asking for forgiveness, that's in there. Receiving forgiveness is in there. But accepting it, the idea that I want to, that I can like, accept or reject it, isn't really a theme. It seems to be more that if you ask for it, you want it. And so we kind of wrestle in our world with this, like, I want it, but I don't. I want it, but I don't, right? That's not really a thing in the Bible. Like, in the Bible, people ask for it. They want forgiveness or they don't. And so what the Bible talks a lot more about is confession and repentance. And... uh, And certainly, I I I think Taylor did a great job in his portrayal of Victor. And I talked to Taylor about this. Um, that in his portrayal of Victor, I think he, he left it, whether intentionally or unintentionally, he left it a little bit ambiguous when he's talking with Elizabeth. Um, he says, forgive me. He doesn't say, God, forgive me. 
He just says, forgive me. And then he immediately addresses Elizabeth. His eyes cut to Elizabeth, and he addresses Elizabeth. I don't want you to see me like this. Now, if he's addressing Elizabeth for forgiveness, then okay. He's not addressing God. He can't receive God's forgiveness. Um, but if he's addressing God, he is, he is, in essence, in my opinion, he's confessing. And then he goes about the work of repentance, of changing his mind, right? Changing his, trying to make good, uh, trying to fix what he did. Now, whether, yeah, whether, like Ms. Vasquez said, whether he is redeemed or not, and whatever his intentions were behind that, I think the lesson here that we have to, we have to learn is that ultimately God is the judge, right? And for us to determine what happens to someone, what their eternal destiny is, if we're talking about eternal destiny, that's not our, that's not our judgment to make. So that's what I thought about that. In terms of does he forgive himself, I have no idea. Right on. Um, <clears throat> actually, I agreed with you both. I'm going to move down to my question. It says, what are the moments of sacrifice in the play? And is sacrifice the same thing as love? For me, there was two moments that stuck out. There was one victor taking a, a little bit of ownership of what he did wrong. He told Elizabeth, his wife, hey, you go to this safe environment. I'm going to try to take this thing down. There was that feeling of sacrificing his life. But also, too, it was interesting. Elizabeth of being vulnerable and expressing how much she wanted to marry Victor immediately, how much she was willing to sacrifice time uh, to allow him to finish his work. And so there was sacrificing time, desires, dreams that she had for probably a very long time uh, just so she could be with him. So I thought those were two interesting points. But I took the question pretty literally. And should we uh, associate sacrifice as the same thing as love? And I think no, not at all. Um, we run into a very uh, problematic worldview when we do that because we know God is love, right? Now, hear this. There's a lot of layers to that claim. There's a lot of layers. But you have to understand, God is, it's not that he looks on the wall and says, oh, sacrifice is a good thing. I'm going to go sacrifice today. Because he is good, because he is love, every decision he makes is good. Right. Everything that he does, even the things that hurt discipline, discipline can hurt. Right. A wrath. OK, it can hurt. But in those things, it's still love because that's all he is. Right. There is no shadow in him. He's the father of lights. So you have to understand if you're going to say sacrifice is love, you're saying sacrifice is God. If you're saying sacrifice is God, you're saying actions can be holy. That's a very, very problematic worldview. 500 years ago, you know, we're celebrating the Protestant uh, Reformation and how uh, we realized, hey, works cannot save. Us doing tasks cannot impress a holy God who has never sinned. It's not going to happen, right? And so if that's the case, you don't want to put yourself in a mindset as, well, if God is love and he has different things that he does out of that love, if I do one of those things, well, I'm like God. Well, no, because God is rooted in himself, right? The Trinity, that's a holy community that was loving before humanity. Love did not start when we came on the earth. <laughs> I, like to, I know we like to think we're much higher than we are, but there was love way before us. So if that's the foundation, you have to be alert as a believer to realize, okay, I can do a loving action like sacrifice, 
But that's not the same thing as actual love because love has to be rooted in Christ. It has to be rooted in Christ. If it's not, it's not actual love. Now, here's the, tough that's, here's the part that's tough. We have different contexts, right? We have different contexts. We have the earthly context. We have the eternal context. On an earthly context, I might be referred to as a good person, right? Somebody might look at me, oh, yeah, Coach Groves, yeah, he's a good guy, good dude, good fan. Does that make sense? In eternal context, do you think I'm good? I would pray and hope you all would say no. Because all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. So if you think eternally I'm good, there is a problem. So it's really, to me, the question that you have to be able to differentiate the context. What context are we talking about? I think this is an eternal matter. So that's the way I took it. All righty then. <laughs> I kind of get tickled when I get asked to be on this panel because I didn't know Frankenstein wasn't the monster till last week. So anyway, I'm just saying, while y'all be laughing, some of y'all know. It's the Halloween costume, the green monster. And somebody said, no, it's Dr. Frankenstein. I'm like, shut up. <clears throat> yeah. Well, anyway, so I did go to the play. Yes, I did. Didn't read the book. And I only saw the bits and pieces of the satire years ago. Walk this way. I'm no, just kidding. You might not have seen it. But anyway, um, my question, laughter's good, y'all. It's okay to laugh. Laughter's good for the soul. Um, my question is, did Victor leave a legacy, good or bad? And... Uh, as far as Renee understands things, or Doc Rock, whatever y'all want to call me, but my mom called me Renee. So uh, thinking about a legacy, the first thing that came to my mind was this, that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And we serve a God who's a generational God. He goes, he's, he's not just looking at one generation, but the next and the next and the next. And in this particular play as I listened and as I watched and I saw the error or the time frame of the play and somebody wanting to advance in science but advance in science for their own namesake because years ago we didn't know what we know today about the brain and there's a passage in Proverbs 25 uh, actually Proverbs yeah 25 2 it says it is the How's it go? I'm not even going to pretend I know off the top of my head because right now I'm nervous and I can't think of it because when I sit down and do stuff like this, I get a little scared. Not scared, but scared. Y'all still with me? They're like, oh, no, Doc Rock don't know that verse. No, she's scared. Yeah, here it is, Proverbs 25.2. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. And I believe that God made every man, woman, boy, and girl with the potential to be able to do all the things that we talked about. But having potential and actually fleshing out that potential are two different things. And I believe the good of science or the good of wanting to search out, you know, life. And at the end of the day, there's only one creator, but he gave us the ability to make out of that which he created, if that makes sense. In my class, we talk about he was the beginning and the end. He had no beginning. He just began the beginning because he sits outside of the beginning and began the beginning. Y'all get that? So if he began the beginning, then all we can do is make out of that which he already created. And there's nothing that we can make that will be as perfect as him. So I think the legacy of wanting to advance and do something great, I think that's a good thing. And not for the sake of your own motives. And that's the issue here. Um, 
Genesis 12, when they started to build the Tower of Babel, they were building a building up to the heavens, you know, and they were doing it unto themselves. And that was the flaw there. Because God even said, because they're of one mind and one heart, nothing will be impossible to them. But they didn't have the right motive. And I think about Victor in this. Where was Victor's heart in this? Where was what he wanted to do in this? Is it a bad thing to want to do great things? No, not at all. But whatever you do, let you know you do it with a whole heart as unto the Lord, if you are a child of God. I think that's the issue. Who was Victor? Where was Victor with Christ? That's the bottom line, because you won't do the things unto the Lord if you don't know the Lord that you're doing the thing unto, if that makes sense. So uh, from my perspective, I think there's a good inheritance of, yes, wanting to advance science, because for the good of mankind, I am grateful for the advancements in science. I sit here today cancer-free because of the advancements in science. So I'm grateful for that. But when it's done unto man's own glory, that's the thing that God frowns upon. That's the thing that God holds back upon is that who was it unto? Was it to give glory to the name of Victor or was it to give glory to God? He couldn't even mention, as Mr. Brown said, the name of the Lord. That was something that just wasn't yet in him. Or we didn't see that in the play. Are you? I, I like feedback. See, I just like that. They are looking at I like, amen, y'all here? You, y'all are you breathing? See, I'm used to that. I'm sorry. Thank you. But sometimes I think we, we talk at you and not with you. So that every now and then I, I want to make sure that you're hearing what I'm saying, not just sitting and listening, if that makes sense. So that's why I say, does that make sense? So I hope that was helpful and uh, that we do things out of that of whom we are in him. You can't give honor and glory to one you don't know. So... Uh, it is a good thing to search out the things of science for the betterment of mankind. But when we do things unto our own name and unto our own glory, that's the thing that is to the demise of God. So shall I pray? Or are you coming to pray? Me pray? All right, let's pray. Whew, Father, thank you that, number one, that's over. I was a little nervous. But Lord, I thank you that you are God all by yourself. You sit high, you look low. You know our needs even before we ask. And Father, as we think about this play and we think about uh, Dr. Frankenstein and all that took place, I thank you for the things that we heard from everybody on the panel. And Father, I thank you that your grace is greater than our need. And we can call on you while you're near. Father, we thank you. We have the opportunity to call on you. And I just pray that you would allow the words that the young people have heard today to resonate in their souls, that they might continue to ask questions of you and of one another to get to know you better. Continue to grow us in your grace. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.